Hi there. This is City Book and Company, a chatty little podcast that dishes and dotes on the upstarts, icons, dreamers, and doers of Houston, the most fascinating city in America. I'm Jeff Gremion, the editor of Houston City Book Magazine and HoustonCityBook.com, and I'm your host. Welcome to City Book and Company. We're glad to have you today. Have a great show lined up. We're going to be talking with Johnny Rhodes, who is one of the nation's most interesting rising star chefs. His restaurant, Indigo, has gotten all kinds of praise for its unique approach, including being named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most important places to be in the world about a year and a half ago. He does this thing where he tells the story of the African-American experience and struggles through the food that he produces at Indigo, and it's been very inspiring and gotten a lot of attention for what he's doing, and rightfully so. And he's about to pivot and move out of restauranting and get into running a farm and producing a grocery store and really attacking the food desert crisis of Houston. So he puts his money where his mouth is in terms of really wanting to help his community, help Houston, and end what he calls food apartheid. We'll talk a lot about that. Before we get to Johnny... Let me introduce my guest co-host today, making her sophomore run, her second time at the microphone here at City Book and Company, Kate McLean. How are you doing? Thank you, Jeff. I'm doing great. I wanted you to be here today to talk to Johnny because you are a chef yourself and a journalist and a podcaster, and you do a lot of fascinating things. But the big question, the burning question I have for you today is, have you eaten anywhere good lately? Yes. Tell, Thank you for tell asking. Me, tell me all about it. So my neighbor... His date didn't pan out last night, and so I got subbed in to a tasting omakase tasting menu at Neo H Tex, and that's in Montrose. And it's very cool. You guys need to check it out. Is it new? Um, it's new. I think it's it opened up in August. They said, but check out their Instagram Neo H Tex, and yeah, you you pay beforehand. There are complimentary beverages. It's 18 to 20 courses, but the coolest thing that they were doing was their aging fish. And it's amazing. They're doing it. Some might say of all the things that you might want to age, fish might not be one of those things. When you say they're aging fish, what does that mean? So yeah, I know what you're saying. They do it at a cold enough temperature with the right humidity and they're doing it kind of, most of them are whole fish. And it works. They said they had done something as long as 50 days. I believe I tasted something 20 days old. And it was great. It changes the texture. It kind of enhances that flavor in the way that you may have tasted a a nice aged ribeye. But it was cool. Very cool. When a new restaurant hits in Houston, are you like, uh, are you an early adapter? Do you like to race out and check out the new place first? Or do you sit back and wait for the reviews to roll in so you can be confident that it's going to be a good place? Man, I wish I was there to support them as soon as possible, but it usually takes me a while to get around. I I typically work nights, and so Sunday, Monday is kind of the night to dine out. But yeah, I think a lot of people are are opening up, you know, even amidst a a pandemic, and and I'm proud of them. So thank you for all the Houstonians out there who are supporting the local restaurants. It's huge. Independent restaurants need to be there for them the way that they are there for us. And Johnny Rhodes is unique among them with a, a very cool story. Looking forward to talking with Johnny and you, Kate, right after this short break. Thank you. 
With interest rates being as low as they are, like so many other Americans, I recently refinanced my home. I shopped around a lot of the big national mortgage companies and the big banks, and I thought I'd do myself the favor of checking out a local Houston-based company, too. I was delighted when Envoy Mortgage not only found the best deal for me, but made it all so easy. Nice Houston folks held my hand through the entire process, most of which I was able to do from my house. It was convenient because you can automatically connect your bank statements, your tax records, and your income documentation right from your phone or your tablet or your laptop. You don't have to worry all the time about how it's going as the process goes along because you get updated on each step of the process and receive video guides and helpful articles along the way. And it's pretty darn fast. Envoy's loan origination and underwriting is all done under one roof, which means your loan moves quickly. Envoy can help you whether you're buying a new home or refinancing. They even have special programs for first-time home buyers and veterans. Envoy Mortgage wants you to love your mortgage experience. Check them out at EnvoyMortgage.com and tell them Jeff from CityBook sent you. And now back to our show. Johnny Rhodes, welcome to CityBook and Company. Thank you so much for having me. We're delighted to have you. But to start things off, congratulations are in order. Apart from all the great success for Indigo and all of the accolades you've gotten, something pretty incredible happened about three weeks ago in your life, right? Yeah. Uh, welcome to a new son. Congratulations. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. What's his name? Langston Croy. Anything special about the naming? What's an honorary thing? Oh, yeah, certainly. Uh, well, uh, Langston Hughes is you know, one of my historical... Uh, heroes, uh, so definitely there. And then Croy, uh, having a Creole and uh, influence in there, and want to definitely give him a, a name that represented his heritage on the side of the America. So I've said putting those two together meant a lot. And I share the, me and my sons all share the same middle name. So oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. And you have two older ones, boy and a girl. Yep, correct. And so now, as you say, you have a, a new farmhand. Yep, got a new farmhand. <laughs> it's going to take him some while to get a, to get acclimated, but he'll get there eventually, I'm sure. Well, we're very happy for you. Congratulations. I want to get into some of your history. Our listeners will know that you uh, have a restaurant called Indigo that's been incredibly well-reviewed. You've become sort of famous. You've been written up in many magazines. Time magazine a couple of years ago said your restaurant was one of the 100 greatest places to be in the world, right? Yeah. So yeah. you've done so much. And you're 30, right? You're just barely 30. Yeah, I just turned 30 in October 2020. So you've accomplished so much in such a short time in the food industry, the restaurant world. But you, when you were a kid growing up in Houston, you weren't thinking about this. This wasn't a dream you've had your whole life, right? <laughs> Tell me about you, where you grew up in Houston and what that was like and what did you want to be when you grew up at the time? Man, so I, I grew up on the, north, on the northeast side of Houston, uh, Training Garden, Fifth Ward, Cashmere Gardens area, Acres Home uh, on the northeast side of town. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just grew up in that area, always having these ideas or dreams of, uh, I actually wanted to be an engineer as a kid. Uh, I was really good at, uh, at angles and developing things. I used to play with Legos a lot. Uh, that's where I got my creativity from. Uh, so that's really what got me sparked, sparked in thinking outside of the box and how to be creative was wanting to, to build things and then also, uh, having just Legos. Were you a good kid? Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I, I would say I was a good kid to many, many different degrees. I fell short some places. But I read an article where you talked about 
a neighbor's house and you said you'd knocked out so many windows in that house you couldn't even count. Oh, yeah, certainly. Uh, we used to throw a lot of rocks. We used to try to skip rocks in my grandmother's backyard. And sometimes they would just skip the wrong way or the rock would curve the wrong way. Uh, it's just one of those things that happens when you're a kid. You're throwing rocks and a window is bound to break. So you were kind of a normal, kind of normal bad kid, not a bad kid. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was, I was mischievous. I was the, uh, what was that movie? Uh, Dennis the Menace. Ah. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was that mischievous <laughs> kid. And you said engineering, but you also for a time thought you might become a athlete, right? You were into, yeah. you were into basketball. Yeah, I, I was definitely into and you're not a, Your listeners won't be able to see. You're not a tall man. Well, I used to be 6'6". Six, six. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, when there, there was this this tragic thing, we can't really talk about it on the air. But yeah, I used to be six six back in the day. But basketball didn't work out. Nope, did not. And even then, that you still weren't thinking Food. restaurant. No, you not you at wound all. up in the military. Tell how did that opportunity come along, and what has that meant in your life? Uh, well, I actually saw so I wanted to be a professional boxer. Uh, that was that was prob- that and basketball were like my thing. Basketball, boxing, or engineering for me. Uh, of course, none of those things happened for me right away or in the way in which I liked. So I did end up joining the uh, the Marines to kind of find my way, trying to navigate myself through life. And uh, I did my time, served my uh, served my country, and I wanted to come out and, and do something that was more representative of myself and uh, some creative speaking and some creative working. So before we get to that, tell me a little bit more about the military. You were you served in Afghanistan, active duty, right? Correct. And you also met your wife. Shana was also in the Marines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very unusual story. <laughs> How did that come about? And I really want to know what – do you look back on your military service with great pride? Do you credit any of that for spinning you off into the direction that you found more lately? I mean, what, what did that experience mean for you in your life? Well, I met my wife during uh, – I would say within the first, within my first year of being in, uh, it's pretty common that you see young couples in the military. You know, people are leaving home. It's almost like college in a, in a sense. And uh, it's not too often where you see couples that get together at such a young age make it to a year or even ten years like us now. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just kind of been a whirlwind. Uh, it's crazy. I just told you ten years ago, and I'm just like, damn, it's been ten years. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that experience during the military was, I think it was great. I think it was something that I, I definitely needed exposure to the world, uh, exposure to other people, and just having an opportunity to see the world from a different perspective than that of my own, and then through and through that of my community. That's what I look at my military experience for is perspectives. When I'm having a hard time comprehending something conceptually, I think about during that time and all the different people I've experienced, and um, my encounters with them and uh, how would those unfold for me personally. And they say you're not really supposed to use the expression former Former. Marine, right? You're always a Marine. Forever. Do or die. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. No problem. You and Shana. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. Do you remember one meal that they would serve in the Marines that like you guys were like, yes, it's pizza day or something. Chocolate muffins and ribbits. Really? (laughs) Chocolate muffins and what? What's a ribbit? Uh, chocolate muffins and ribbits. Oh. Um, any Marine that hears that will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, that's, that's, that's the most I can give you is chocolate muffins and ribbits. Okay. <laughs> it's top secret. Well, there's going to be some Googling going on. Oh, to, yeah. To try to figure this one out. Well, I mean, it's no secret. It's sugar. 
right? You need the sugar. It keeps your adrenaline going. So I noticed my electricity bill was getting out of hand. It was time to do that thing all we Houstonians have to do from time to time. You know what I mean. You have to go through the hassle of switching to a new provider to get a better deal. And then over time, the prices creep up on you again after the contract period ends. And then you have to do the whole thing over again, all over again, sometime later. It's maddening. Thank goodness a friend told me about Real Simple Energy. This is a new company, Houston-based, started by two friendly local young professionals, Trent and Paul. They're both around 40. And what they do is find you the cheapest deals, the cheapest deals for you. They present you three options, one of which will always be green if that's important to you. You pick, and they handle the busy work of getting you switched over. You will save a ton of cash. Most folks save around 500 bucks a year. I actually think I'm going to save a little bit more than that. And the best part, when your contract ends and your prices start sneaking up on you, they get more cheap options in front of you again and do the whole process again and take care of you getting switched over the whole nine yards. Nobody else does what they do. You will never pay for electricity again, never hassle with providers, only deal with real simple. Set it and forget it. Never worry about this stuff again and have peace of mind. Don't let the big providers take advantage of you anymore. Sign up and start saving today at realsimpleenergy.com. And if you use promo code CityBook, you'll get an additional 50 bucks off your first bill. So through all of this, all the varied experiences of your young life, at some point you begin to think food. How did that, aside from the chocolate muffins and what have you, but when did you begin to think maybe I could be a chef and how did that happen? Oh man. So, um, when I was a teenager in high school, I never really thought about, uh, cooking as this huge thing or even an opportunity or career opportunity. I got into some trouble with my mother and, uh, I was put on punishment for the entire summer and I wasn't allowed to go play basketball at the court. So, uh, I had to stay in my house and the only interaction I had with my friends during the summer was, uh, talking to them outside my window. And uh, she used to tell me that I was letting the, the cold air out. And if I was going to have the window open, I better be making, bringing some money into it since I'm letting all the money out. So uh, I started selling Frito pies outside of my window. And I How said, old were you? I was a uh, sophomore in high school. Mm-hmm. So sophomore to junior transition that summer. Yeah, I started selling Frito pies out of my window to all my friends. And uh, next thing you know, they moved the basketball goal right in front of my house. <laughs> and in between. What were you charging for a Frito pie? I think I was charged like $3.50. Did you serve it out of the bag? Yes, I did. Nice. I most certainly did. And you made the chili yourself? I made the chili myself. Wow. This, I made the chili myself. I'm, I've never been more impressed with you than I am right now. <laughs> 15, 15 year old doing that. That's pretty cool. But, but it wasn't that great. Was it about the cooking or the entrepreneurial idea? It was about the entrepreneurial idea. The cooking hadn't quite registered to me just yet. It was more about the fact that, oh, I'm making money, and I'm literally standing in my bedroom, slinging it out of my window, and I have my crock pot. <laughs> and it just—it was just one of those things where I just did that all summer, and uh, it never came back to me to do that again because, as a teenager, you know, you have short attention span. So the next summer, I spent doing my time doing something else, and put it back to the path that led you to Indigo. Mm-hmm. So. Shortly after you got out of the Marines, you went to culinary school and you spent some time in New York. Correct. And you eventually wind up working with Justin Yu at Oxheart. That was before I went to New York, actually. Before, okay. Yeah. I was uh, working at Oxheart all of 2014. 
uh, all of 2014. Another very famous restaurant, so our listeners will know it. it uh, Justin, you won the James Beard Award for his work there. Pretty prestigious place to work. Oh, yeah. I was actually a part of that team that got that award. So wow. we were uh, all there for entire 2014, and then they got announced for the award in May 2015. I had just left there in uh, February, March 2015 and moved to New York. And what was your New York experience like, and how did that – I'm wondering, where did Indigo come from in your mind? What, what was it meant to be in your mind, and how did you get there? Well, Indigo was a collection of my experiences. Uh my experiences throughout life, and then, of course, also my cooking experiences. Uh, I got started the idea of actually being a chef when I got volunteered in the Marines to to barbecue because they figured I was from Texas, so I must know how to barbecue, right? Uh, But you must. Right, right. I I did. It's not that I was very good at it, but I did at the time compared to what, you know, they thought it was. And um, it worked out pretty great. Everything turned out pretty good. And I thought, you know, maybe I should try this out long term. And I wanted to, you know, give it a shot. So we come back to the United States and every other weekend, having a few a few guys over from my platoon and their wives and their kids and just grilling and cooking. And I'm like, you know what? I think I want to become a chef. And um, they just didn't think I was serious about it. So, you know, we called each other out and made jokes about it. Never going to really do it. And um, they challenged me to do it, and I actually did it. And uh, that's what kind of got me into cooking. But then is when I uh, once I worked at these different restaurants, I didn't see people that looked like myself, or I was having a really difficult time enjoying the food sometimes. The food at these different restaurants I would be working at, it would be very beautiful, be very technique-driven, but culturally speaking, there was a disconnect there for me. I didn't like pate and crutes or uh, sushi or other certain different things. Of course, my palate needs to be opened up and refined. But at the same time, I didn't think there was necessarily anything wrong with the things that I did enjoy. And I was curious what it would look like for the things that I did enjoy and for the things that I did come from. And what are those things? Collard greens, oxtails, you know, those things. I, I hated those things as a kid. But I began to appreciate them when I saw that when I realized as I got older, the ingenuity required to to take them and to make them and the cost. And I look at all the other fine tuning techniques that restaurants were using while where I worked at. And I just always wondered, you know, what if I applied those things to the things that I didn't like? Uh, what would they look like? What would they taste like? So from. Justin used Oxheart to Gramercy Taverns, all those different experiences and in between. Uh, really helped me develop uh, my own keen sense of cooking. And you really saw a way to channel your own unique experiences, both as a chef and as a human, Yeah, into what you're going to wind up cooking at Indigo. And I think a lot of chefs imagine that they're going to do that, express themselves, and they do in, the, in a very subtle way sometimes, or they'll cook their grandmother's recipes, and you've heard that story before. But you really you don't just serve the food, you talk about the food, right? You tell people the story of the food, the story of sort of what inspired you, and you have clever names for the food, and that's unique at Indigo. Uh, there's a dish called what? Uh, uh, Descendants of Igbo? Yeah. What's that? So Descendants of Igbo essentially talks about uh, West Africa and how a particular group of people uh, in Nigeria don't judge each other based upon how much money they have. They don't look at your... Your value, your, your value in the term of coins or dollars. They look at it in the terms of agriculture. 
right? If you Google somebody's net worth in America, it would say X amount of dollars. If you, and this is hypothetically speaking, if you Google somebody's net worth in Igbo, Nigeria, they're going to say how many sweet potatoes and yams they can grow, right? How much food can you provide for yourself? And then if you have so much food for yourself, how much of that do you have in excess to provide for others, right? We talk about paying taxes in the forms of money. What if we pay taxes in the forms of food, which is what that descendants of Igbo is about. It's about taking care of yourself and taking care of your community because, uh, when you don't take care of your community, that's what leads to uh, envy, which leads to crime, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's what that dish is really about, is saying that we're, we are descendants of people who took care of each other through agriculture. And what is that dish? It's amazing. That's what you're doing now. Trying to, yes. Uh, and, and that dish is a, a, it's a charcoal roasted candy yam semifrito. And then um, we, it's a dessert. So it's a candy yam semifrito, and then we take the skins and all the all the skins, and we pressure cook them and make them into molasses. So it's a, a, yam, a candy yam semifrito with yam skin molasses, and then we put candy pecans on top. And you didn't learn that at culinary school, did you? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Plenty more with Johnny Rhodes next week. Come on back and see us. CityBook and Company is a production of CityBook Media and Milieu Media Group. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Brauner. The music you've heard in this episode was licensed from Blue Dot Sessions. Artwork is designed by Patrick McGee. You'll find links to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in the show notes. Visit HoustonCityBook.com for the latest news and notes on the most fascinating city in America.